I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So Jimmy was president decades ago, but we're doing a show right now on Ronald Reagan. And the dogs in the studio seem to be pretty excited about this topic. <laughs> I know, they're running around at the table. <laughs> but, you know, whether... You support his policies or not. You have to admit he got a lot done, and he had a very distinct style. And could we use a little bit more of that Reagan style today? Learning from Reagan, Bob Spitz. What are a few lessons of Reagan's style for politicians of today? Um, I think the most important one is to realize that you're the president of all the people, not just some of the people. Fred Fielding, who was one of his advisors, told me that Reagan said, are we going to be all right, Fred? And Fred said, we will, Mr. President, until that first plane comes down, and then you're going to be a one-term president. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix fix it? it? How do we fix it? Richard, I remember the first election I was old enough to vote in. It was 1980 when Ronald Reagan was running for his first term. I I didn't know that there were votes for 14-year-olds. You can't possibly be that old. I was very precocious, as you know. (laughs) But I voted against him very enthusiastically. I I really thought, and all my friends thought, that he was some kind of right-wing nut and he was going to get us all into World War III. Yeah, me too. Uh, But history has been somewhat kinder to Reagan than we were. Yeah, even people who don't agree with all the policies that he advocated recognize that the Reagan administration had some huge accomplishments. The tax cuts that helped reinvigorate the economy, nuclear weapons treaties, and a peaceful end to the Cold War. Yeah, there are plenty of criticisms of Reagan, but he did have a style that, that many people liked, and he helped rebuild confidence in the country and didn't insult his political adversaries, unlike a certain occupant of the White House today. <laughs> yeah, maybe Maybe we could use a little bit of that style now. Our guest today is writer Bob Spitz, author of the new biography, Reagan, and American Journey. Bob is a noted biographer who has written definitive books on the Beatles and Bob Dylan, among others. And Bob joins us in our studio here on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Welcome to How Do We Fix It? It's a pleasure to be here. So why is it important today to understand how uh, Ronald Reagan governed? Well, I I think Reagan came to power at a very important time in our history. We had come through the Vietnam War. We had come through Watergate, a succession of failed presidencies. And the country needed something to pick up its morale. 
And Ronald Reagan was the right man at the right time. He he knew how to project. He knew how to communicate. And, and I think that's what the country needed more than anything else. As it turns out, he was a decent human being. You know, a lot of our listeners weren't actually born during the time of the Reagan administration. Right. And people remember... They, they've learned about the presidency, but, but they may not know about some of the other elements of his life. Can you give us sort of the 60-second summary of who sure. this guy was? He had an incredible life. I mean, he was born to very humble circumstances. His parents were incredibly poor. His dad was a reckless alcoholic, uh, a shoe salesman who lost his job often, and the family had to move under cover of night. Um, his, his mom was deeply religious, uh, so much so that it, it often intruded on her uh, responsibilities as a mother. And, and Ronald Reagan often had to share a single bed with his older brother. I mean, that's how poor he were. But this is a man who managed through his, his own willpower and his own charm to push through all of that. He went to a college way above his station that he had no business going to, but he managed to to work about five different jobs. Uh, He found his voice at this college. He learned how to communicate with people and that he had something to say. He became the voice of the Midwest as a radio personality. He um, Yeah, he was a radio sportscaster. Well, not just a sportscaster. That was part of his job. He did the Cubs and the White Sox games from teletype. I mean, he had to recreate the games as it came over the teletype machine. But he also had four or five different shows a week where he would interview all kinds of uh, personalities, Amy Semple McPherson, Gene Autry, who was ever in town. And his voice projected to... Eight different states. I mean, everybody knew who Dutch Reagan was. From there, he had the hubris to think that he could be a Hollywood movie star, goes to Hollywood, becomes kind of a prominent actor, a B actor, but prominent, becomes head of the Screen Actors Guild at a very turbulent time, finds his political voice, uh, becomes the spokesperson for General Electric and its ambassador, a very difficult job that took him through the the rest of the country talking to common people. And then he becomes the governor of California and the president of the United States. You know, politically, we think of Reagan as being quite conservative, but he started out being very liberal. He even flirted with joining the Communist Party at one time. He did, yeah. He was a... uh, dyed-in-the-wool FDR man. And Reagan believed in, in the Democrats' cause. But, you know, somewhere along the way, he, and, and I, I know how it happened, he, he shifted to the right. When Reagan came into office, a lot of people were worried about his language, his demeanor, because he could be very tough talking about communism and the Soviet Union. He was Union. Ronnie Reagan. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, and, and somewhat flippant sometimes about the Soviet Union and the threat of nuclear war. Yes, right? calling them the evil empire. Right. Yeah. So in an early speech, he, he said that. He also made a joke one time. What did he say? The bombing is going to begin in 15 minutes. Yes, but he, he was testing the microphone and didn't know it was live. <laughs> right. Right. There's a lesson for you. And right. it was a joke. But here's, <laughs> right. but here's the amazing thing. By the end of his time in the White House... The Cold War was coming to a peaceful conclusion. How did he pull that off? You know, I can tell you in two words, Nancy Reagan. Nancy Reagan wanted him 
to have an amazing legacy. And she felt the legacy would be if he could bring nuclear peace to the country. And so she pushed him to make peace with the USSR. He tried with Brezhnev when Brezhnev was alive. He couldn't reach Andropov. Andropov died, I think, within six weeks of, of taking power. He found that he had a, an, an ear in Mikhail Gorbachev. And for people who don't remember that era, this was this incredible run, the final decade or so of the Soviet Union. They, they ran through the, the leaders at an incredible pace. It was, and at the country yeah, it was, was like every more six, chaotic. Every six months, it seemed there was a new leader there. And so he couldn't really get a foothold. But Nancy kept pushing him. And when Gorbachev said he would speak to Reagan one-on-one, which is what Reagan always wanted from the... Uh, Soviet premier, he jumped at the chance to do it against the wishes of almost every advisor he had. He was determined to bring peace. Nuclear annihilation scared the devil out of Ronald Reagan. And it was the one thing, I think, more than anything in his term that he wanted to correct or do away with. Today, our political discourse involves debates and, and political statements by, by politicians of both sides claiming that the other side is, is corrupt, immoral, not even worth listening to, mm. and, and in some cases, evil. Um, Reagan communicated in a very different way. He did. One of the great things that he learned in college and, throughout, and he practiced throughout his life was the art of compromise. He often, as president, reached across the aisle. He relied on people like Scoop Jackson, uh, who was a Democrat, and Tip O'Neill, who was a very good friend of his, people whose policies he completely opposed, but he was willing to listen. And, And when he didn't get the advice that he wanted, he would talk to the experts around him and listen to what they had to say and then reach a, uh, a moderate position. But would that work today? You know how it would work? It would work in the choosing of a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> um, Reagan's Supreme Court justice did not work. Robert Bork, he, he tried to get him through. Bork was a hardliner. He tried to get Doug Ginsburg through, another hardliner. And what he found out was he wasn't listening to the American public. The American public wanted someone who was more moderate. And ultimately, he found Tony Kennedy, who was, uh, who was a moderate, who actually, throughout his uh, tenure on the court, listened to both sides, and you never knew how he was going to vote. And then he also picked another centrist, Sandra Day O'Connor. Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman to the court. The right wing of his party was completely opposed to Sandra Day O'Connor. And Reagan wasn't sure of her position on abortion. He wanted to make sure that she was opposed to abortion. And she said to him, you know, I'm personally opposed to abortion, but it's the law of the land. And as long as I'm a judge, I have to defend it. And that mollified Reagan. He also had an interesting relationship with his cabinet. He brought some really strong personalities in there. Yes, he did. Some very smart people, but also some very difficult people. How did he work with them? Uh, he would always say, hey, let's roundtable it with the fellows, <laughs> except for Jean Kirkpatrick, who wasn't a fellow, of course. But And there's another good She was example. the toughest one of the bunch. She was, but she was a Democrat who, uh, who was a kind of switched to conservatism. Ronald Reagan knew that he was never the smartest person in the room. That was okay by him. But he made sure that he had experts in that room with him who he could rely on. And he was humble enough and wise enough to take their advice and to really just kind of sift through it before he made hard decisions. This was a a practice of good leadership and good management. 
listening to people, accepting other people's views. But of course, it wasn't all charm and and sweetness. He could be very tough and stubborn right. when when called upon in certain ways. Tell us about the airline traffic controllers strike early in his first term. This was something that really pained Ronald Reagan. He was a union man, and here was a union that wanted a raise, and it just wasn't in the budget. Reagan wanted to reach some kind of a compromise with him, but they announced that they were going to strike. And and this was a union that had backed uh, Ronald Reagan in the election. Yes, they supported him up and down. He He was personally aggravated because... It was against the law for them to strike because they were government employees, and it would have created havoc. But he determined to put his foot down. He felt that if he couldn't do it right away in his first term, then uh, he would be perceived a, a, as a weak president. So he, uh, he basically fired them all, and it was, uh, it, it was hard for him to do, but it was a show of real strength. And it was a huge gamble. I mean, politically, he took enormous risk. How did the public respond? The public backed them 100%. They were nervous. Uh, They had read a a number of things, especially in the New York Times, that said that planes would be falling out of the air. And, uh, in fact, Fred Fielding, who was one of his advisors, told me that Reagan said, are we going to be all right, Fred? And Fred said, we will, Mr. President, until that first plane comes down, and then you're going to be a one-term president. (laughs) It's surprising that that there was such strong support for, for Reagan, given that at that time many more people were members of trade unions than they are today. That's true, but the way he approached it was he went on TV to explain it to people. Yeah, I want to ask you about what that tells us and what kind of lessons uh, we could have today. We're speaking with Bob Spitz, author of the new biography, Reagan, An American Journey. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. And I'm Richard Davies. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. What are a few lessons of Reagan's style for politicians of today? Um, I think the most important one is to realize that you're the president of all the people, not just some of the people. Uh, Ronald Reagan learned this very early in his term as governor, in his first term. He was one of the first people in the country to pass a therapeutic abortion bill. This was six years before Roe v. Wade. He was personally opposed to abortion, but one of his legislators, and and the legislature was all Democratic, came to him and said, you don't understand. The people in California want this. 65% of the people want you to sign this. 
Reagan did a few studies, found out that indeed that was true, and he decided to sign the bill above his objections because he said, I'm the governor of all the people, not just some of the people. And I think that's the most important thing you can take away from, uh, from him. Jim, I think it's fair to say you're more of a fan than, of Reagan than I am. Well, that's, isn't and, that the and, idea of our show? That, yeah. You know, you're the, you're the, so you're, are, you're the softy liberal and I'm the crusty. <laughs> the cranky. Conservative. Heartless conservative. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I just want to raise a, a, a few criticisms sure. of Reagan and yeah. run them through with you. I can help uh, you with those, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that... that at the time, and, and, and certainly this has been a criticism that's rolled down through the years, people worried that Reagan was living in a fantasy land. Mm-hmm. And, and one example of that was, was, was Star Wars. Yes, was it this, was. This missile defense system that he came up with that involved wasting billions of dollars and eventually was abandoned. Yeah. He decided to change our, our strategic policy from an offensive policy, you know, building up, to a defensive policy. Bud McFarlane who was the intelligence officer at the time, and John Poindexter, who was his deputy, really convinced him to do this, and they brought the chiefs of staff in who were completely against it, as was almost every other Republican lawmaker and Democratic lawmaker as well. But Reagan felt, and, and perhaps in a Pollyanna way, that we could build some kind of missile shield that would protect us and, and would shoot missiles out of the sky. Oddly enough... He was in a movie as secret agent Brass Bancroft at Warner Brothers where they shot missiles out of the sky. And, and I really think that he kind of convoluted this whole idea. But the Soviets actually took it somewhat seriously. They bought it. And at one point, our intelligence people said, even if it doesn't work, just by letting the Soviets know that we have it and it's in development and it's going to be in place in a few years, they would back down. And they did. They bought it. It's incredible. Reagan believed, I think, in, in storybook endings, which was perhaps one clue to his success, that he was such a brilliant storyteller. Mm. But it also led to weaknesses, didn't it? I mean, I'm thinking of another example, which, which the critics decried him on voodoo economics, this, this yeah. supply-side economics theory that says that you cut taxes and the government ends up gaining more in revenues. Right. He decided to go supply-side um, against the Keynesian method that had always been in place. And um, it didn't work. I mean, it was it, David Stockman, his, his young budget director, uh, had implemented it. And, and pretty soon, it was just a matter of about eight months to a year, Stockman realized that he had miscalculated. He couldn't find a way to bridge $41 billion. And, it was, and the budget was, was getting wider and bigger and, and more unruly. So while Reagan did initiate a series of tax cuts that really benefited and stimulated business, the trickle-down never, uh, never trickled. He had kind of a hands-off management style at times, and it got him into trouble. Tell us what went wrong in the Iran-Contra uh, scandal. Well, that, that went wrong from the get-go, Jim. <laughs> um, it was brought to him by Bud McFarlane when he was in the hospital, and he didn't really grasp it. But the big idea, and Reagan only saw big ideas, the big idea sounded fantastic to him. Here's what would happen. We would give moderates in Iran some missiles to show them that we were their buddies, and they would gradually agree that the United States was their pal. 
We never found those moderates. I, I don't even know if they existed. But by the time we got involved in that, it was, it, it was a fiasco. And, and so much money and so many missiles had been given to the Iranians. And the money that we got back from them in return for those missiles was hijacked by Ali North. Ill- illegally. Illegally. And the money was sent to the Contras that were fighting against the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. And that was right-wing militias that were fighting a left-wing government at exactly. that time. And as it turned out, neither of them were any good. <laughs> but, uh, but Reagan was convinced these were freedom fighters, much like our Revolutionary War patriots and the French resistance. And he called them freedom fighters. Uh, I, I don't think he really grasped who they were or what they were uh, fighting about. What happened with AIDS? He spent years yeah. kind of ignoring yeah, that he had growing a tin, crisis. He had a tin air when it came to AIDS. Um, he didn't understand it. He didn't want to understand it. He never believed that Rock Hudson was, was a homosexual. And when Rock died, it kind of really stunned him um, when it was announced that he had AIDS. But um, somebody who was a family friend introduced him to Elizabeth Glazer, whose husband was part of the Starsky and Hutch cast. And she was dying of AIDS because she had a blood transfusion when she was pregnant. Her baby had already died of AIDS. And this turned Reagan inside out, and he came out very strongly in favor of uh, AIDS research, but it was too little too late. Let's talk a little bit about fathers. Yes. You mentioned Reagan's father was this very unreliable alcoholic. You think so many politicians have had this experience of of some kind of parental abandonment. You know, Obama's father fa- famously left him. Bill Clinton's, Bill Clinton's right. father sure. was an alcoholic. And what is it about that experience that shapes these people to be so good at connecting with other people? Yeah, I think they they go into their own shell and they realize it's all up to them. If they have a good heart and and, and an understanding that they have to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, I, I, I think they really take everything into their own hands and push through all that. I will say, while his parents could never put it together because of their own lapses, they, they loved him. That I, was a saving grace. I've mentioned several severe criticisms of Reagan, but, yeah. but one criticism that was very common at the time, especially in, in the mainstream media, was, was that Reagan wasn't very smart. He wasn't very sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge misconception. Wasn't yeah, it? I think it was. You know, he, when I said he was never the smartest man in the room, that doesn't mean he wasn't smart. He was very canny. He was a shrewd man, um, and he had great gut instincts. He really knew how to trust himself, and that is really the mark of a good leader. Um, but a good leader always knows that good people make you an even better leader, and that was Reagan's saving grace. If the 70s was the decade of malaise mm-hmm. I, and the the 80s were the decade of optimism and revival. How much credit does Reagan get for that? Oh, I think he gets enormous credit, uh, and especially in these post-partisan times when uh, you have a look at somebody and you see that he wasn't as far right as we thought he was, that he wasn't as reckless as we were afraid he was going to be. 
Uh, I, I think you have to give him credit for all of that. But he did turn the Republican Party right. Oh, he did. Uh, and and the Republican doubt. Party became much more ideologically driven as a result of his presidency than before. Yes. Uh, both abortion and religion became issues, and they had never been issues before Ronald Reagan's uh, administration. He brought those issues into the national discourse. And, and also saying that government was the enemy. Yes, uh, he did say that, but once he became part of the government, I think he saw that he could work with it and through it. Yeah, and I'd have to say, I mean, when he said, you know, made the joke about we're from the government, we're here to help, I think he was also speaking to the experience a lot of business people and others were having that, that you know, you have to remember this was a time we'd had 20-year massive increases in all kinds of regulations. A lot of them were were good, you know, a lot of environmental regulations and stuff, but people were feeling somewhat encumbered. And, but, and no one had come forward and just said, hey, let's lighten that burden a little bit. True, but under Reagan, the size of government, the number of, of civil servants increased. And Isn't actually, that funny? Actually, under Bill Clinton, they decreased. Yeah, it doesn't make much sense when you think about it, but that's actually what, what happened. Well, why I, do people think he cut the government so much if he didn't? Well, he started to do it, and then he realized he couldn't do it. So in the last couple of years of his presidency, were there any signs that that, uh, President Reagan actually had Alzheimer's? You know, I spoke to Howard Baker right before he died, and he told me that he became the third chief of staff for Reagan when he had heard that Reagan was failing as a president physically and that he, uh, he really needed someone like Baker to pull him through and to help out. In fact, Baker found out quite the opposite. Uh, For about three weeks, all he did was shadow Reagan, talk to him all day long, and found out, in fact, that Reagan was very, uh, very lucid at the top of his game. But he did nap during the day. He'd fall asleep during meetings at time. He was an older man, and life was catching up with him. It, It wasn't until he fell off his horse about six months after he was out of office uh, that the uh, dementia and the Alzheimer's started to, sh- to show itself. Reagan was, Reagan was often underestimated, often reviled as a scary extremist figure. So it's tempting to maybe think, well, what if that's also true of Trump? Maybe he's not as extreme as people think, or maybe he's got capacity for compromise that we just haven't seen yet Hmm. what do you think Uh, you know i can only answer it this way and that is that ronald reagan didn't have a hostile bone in his body and i I, I think uh donald trump is not wired that way you really need to have that deep inside of you trump i think is too much of a narcissist to uh to change reagan was not a narcissist in any shape or form he really thought about the American people and the good of the American people above everything else. If there's one thing that Donald Trump could learn from Ronald Reagan, what would that be? To tone down all the hostility, that hostility doesn't work, uh, that we're all uh, part of this country. If you recall, Ronald Reagan, in his last speech to the American people, talked about that shining uh, city on the hill. And he said, if the cities had to have walls, then the walls had to have doors, and the doors were open to anybody who wanted to live here in peace and harmony. And uh, I think that sums up what Trump could take 
from Reagan more than anything else. Thank you, Bob Spitz. (laughs) Aha, my pleasure. Long-time listeners of How Do We Fix It know that we have a studio watchdog, Winston, but now we have two Wheaton Terriers in the studio, and they seem to be very excited about today's topic. Yeah, they're really tussling with each other. It's something about discussing the... the I, think, I think one's a fan of Reagan, and the other one's uh, definitely a critic. But what I liked about talking to Bob Spitz is something that we've focused on a lot on this show, and that is the power of having an open mind. Here's a writer who didn't vote for Reagan. He's not really conservative, but he loves the story of this guy's, what he calls his American journey. And in researching it, studying it, it doesn't mean he's uncritical, but he He's able to put Reagan in a perspective that maybe someone who was a bigger fan or more ideologically aligned with Reagan's policies wouldn't have been able to. And I think he highlights what we often get wrong about our presidents, that unlike a parliamentary system in Europe, our presidents are head of government and head of state. And Reagan used that whole sense of being head of state to change the mood of the country while he was in office. And having lived through it, I have to say, the mood really did change. People forget the 70s were really a mess. You know, you had the energy crisis, oil prices, gas prices were going through the roof, incredible inflation, yet the economy was just dragging along. That didn't change overnight, but it did change, and along with it came a much more optimistic mood in the country. People started starting businesses a lot more, and incomes went up. Yeah, those are the good things, but there were also some some pretty rough things that happened under Reagan. He wasted billions in the war on drugs, which was a failure. Uh, he slashed spending in his first term on programs such as food stamps that led to uh, an increase in poverty at a time of growth in the economy. And he also was slow to recognize the AIDS epidemic, as we mentioned. Which year would you rather have been alive in, 1980 or 1990? Me, personally, I'd rather be alive in 1990, no question about it. But but we did become a more divided nation in terms of income disparities under Reagan than before him. And I also think that his rhetoric about government, which you probably disagree with me on this, I think was really unhelpful. I don't think government is always the problem. I think we need, rather than smaller government, smarter government. Right. Well, the fact is, the government really didn't go down in size the way people think. The things that were described as huge cuts were often just a slightly lower level of growth in many programs. Where you and I certainly can agree is on communication style. He was a great communicator, and that was the, the, the label that many people gave to him. And one reason why he was good at that was he was able to communicate with people who didn't agree with him. What was important about Reagan's communication style also was he had something to communicate. He had a solid set of beliefs in what was good for the country and in the essential goodness of the country. And he repeated that again and again. I think that's part of the reason he's remembered fairly warmly, even by people who didn't always agree with all the policies. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. We're a production of Davies Content. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.